listening to Sloancast, one-stop shop deep diver who discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Patrick Penland, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, this is an emergency episode. This is an emergency episode of Sloancast, guys. We received news recently. Uh, as you would have all uh, done as well, that the band would be re-releasing some very important footage from their history from 2000, early in the Between the Bridges era. Uh, And you may have all seen the Friendship video, you should have all seen the Friendship video by now, which is a live performance of the song taken uh, on a soundstage in front of an audience of fans, done in black and white. And out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, the band just dropped the bomb on its fans that, oh, by the way, you know, 22 years to the day of this having been recorded, we're going to release it on Side Door, uh, which is the concert platform, the digital concert platform that you should all also be aware of following Chris's and Jay's and Andrew's and uh, Patrick's solo shows over the course of the last year and a half or so. Uh, And it just so happens, ladies and gentlemen, that our very own Rob Butcher was, has a bit of an in on this story, as it were. (laughs) Now, Rob, um, this is, uh, this is sort of also something that you're having to dig into the memory banks to, to talk to us about for. So maybe just sort of paint the picture for us. How, how did you get involved with, uh, with this particular story here? Well, the old gray matter ain't what she used to be, so I'll do I'll do I do my best though. Uh, but yeah, long story short, I mean, as everybody knows, we're both super fans, and uh, I've been so lucky in my life to bump into the band a number of times and kind of interact with them. Uh, and in 2008, long story short, um, my brother was going to Ryerson for film and uh, had a, an assignment to do a short film, sort of a documentary on somebody. And I think the other people in the class were doing like, you know, their grandpa, the butcher, or like, uh, you know, uh, somebody down the streets, the shoe shine guy, like whatever. They were just doing random people about town. <clears throat> I'm making it sound like it was like the 1920s or something, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, he was, he, my brother's wanting to do like a musician or somebody with some sort of interesting story or whatever, you know, something a little more, in depth and we were thinking about it and I, I i don't know if it was all of the sloan posters that were on the wall at the time or whatever but it was just like sloan and and who would do it mm. and my brother always had a connection to jay and loved junior panthers mm. and uh it was just like jay let's just ask jay and so I think I might have reached out to Jay on my brother's behalf initially just to say like, hey, would you be interested in doing this like short form documentary? And he was obviously like super gracious and gave him time and in, he, he let him interview him, I think a couple times, take some photos of him. And then there was a day where we went to Jay's house. Well, that he and Chris and his crew were going to Jay's house to film some scenes and uh, it's online. Um, I'll get the uh, address for the end of the episode, but... Um, uh, listeners, this is where we get the much-quoted word impressionistic from. Yes, that's right. Which Jay. we will continue to quote unabashedly until oh. the death of Sloancast. <laughs> totally, absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, they were there, they were going to Jay's place to film some footage of him to use uh, mm-hmm. with a voiceover where he's sort of telling his sort of story in general about, you know, where he came from and interest in music and Sloan. And at the time he was kind of giving like a, like a, a 
birth to 2008 uh, version of Jay Ferguson's story. Uh, well, hopefully coming to a Sloancast episode near you. Um, but uh, this would have been a period of time where uh, Parallel Play had just been recorded, but wasn't out yet, because mm-hmm. I remember at the time okay. that we chatted about that. Um, so this would have been earlier in 2008, I want to say. Uh, like uh, It was still wintertime. Because uh, there's snow mm. on the ground. But anyway, so my brother was like, do you want to come? I, I had been plying him with like questions, like things to ask Jay and just points of interest. And uh, I was trying to think of like some stumpers. Like, what do I, what do I want to know about? Uh, like everything I could think of. And my brother was like, well, why don't you just come along and you can kind of, uh, you know, fluff Jay in between takes with questions and banter to kind of keep him talking and comfortable while we do camera mm-hmm. setups. And I was just like, and I shit myself. I'm like, absolutely. I'll do that. Like, oh my God. And uh, I got to go to Jay's house. Holy shit, man. The holiest of holies. That rec- <laughs> that record collection, which I'm sure I only saw like a tenth of it or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, they were filming with him and I would kind of like speak to him in between the takes and ask him questions. And one of the questions was, you know, what happened to you guys did the friendship video in 2000. And at the end of the video, you clearly are going into uh, mm. uh, so beyond me. So beyond me, yeah. Like, uh, or no, it's not. It's it's Brenna, but it's it's all by ourselves. They're going sorry, into all by ourselves. Yeah, they're going into all by ourselves. <laughs> and uh, you, they're so they're clearly playing more than just the one song. Like, come on. And it's clearly a concert setting. Like, they definitely played more. And he was like, "Yo, yeah, we shot the whole thing, the whole album." And I'm just like, "Well, where's that footage?" And he goes, "That's just it's in the can. You know, we're kind of not doing anything with it at the moment." And I was like, "Okay." And so I looked at my brother, and we both like just subconsciously were thinking to each other, like, "Let's just just ask him, ask him." And I was, like, and I know my brother is like very proficient in terms of editing and everything mm-hmm. to do with film, and mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of offered up his services for him. I was just like, "Well, can we edit it?" And I think by the time we left that day, Jay was like, "Yeah, you can go. You guys can have a crack at it." And we were just like losing it. Um, mm-hmm. So we get fast forward. We get copies of the footage. It was filmed on video. It was filmed in color, actually, uh, by Mike Andringa, who people will may, may recognize from credits uh, of music videos like Good and Everyone, Everything You've Done Wrong. He did those two classic mm. videos. So he's back for this one in 2000. And so we got the footage. Uh, I think it was, I want to say, four cameras, because uh, mm. I remember there being like a grid, and we set up the four shots, lined it up with the music. And, uh, and I'm saying we, my brother did all the technical work here and I was basically just a backseat, you know, editor, just like cut there, go to the, you know, point to that thing. Cause right. I, I knew all the songs and I knew all the moments, you know, like right. what we're looking for. And you I were recall- in the, you were in the van, you were in the van outside with the satellite dish <laughs> yeah, yeah. or ordering the Lockheed's about. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the Al Franken mobile uplink unit with the helmet, with the satellite <laughs> dish on it. But, uh, anyway, yeah. So, um, and I recall at the time, Chris had mentioned you know, and I think that this maybe had more to do with the Coax Me video, which I think they wanted to use like a live switcher when they were doing mm. it at the time, make it look like a TV show. And I think they ended up editing that video pretty heavily. Um, but that this would also want to appear as though it was sort of switched live. Um, and, mm. uh, you know, the, the release that went out about the concert that's coming up, uh, they mentioned that it's sort of based on the 1969 Dutch footage of Led Zeppelin on television mm-hmm. at the time in mm-hmm. black and white. And, it, and that footage appears very, you know, like a live switcher. It doesn't appear as though it's like edited film. Sure. And so they were paying homage to that in every way. The, you know, the, the way that the kids are sitting in a semicircle on the ground, the fact that it's black and white, the setup, the, the way the guys are arranged on stage, uh, all the camera angles. And so, um, and I think this is all on the A-Side Wins DVD too. There's some B-roll footage, Chris talking about, you know, matching up like, 
Uh, he had storyboards that kind of matched the Zeppelin footage. Right, blah, blah. Anyway, right. I feel like I'm just mm. talking so much. I hope this is not boring. But anyway, so we lined up the footage and kind of just went through the whole thing and sort of made, you know, uh, warm edits to so that it wouldn't be really strict and really hard, but it would sort of feel like you're watching a TV show. And so mm. it's not cutting to a moment on the button. Like it's not perfect. Right. So it wouldn't right. look like somebody's like, you know, it, it's, it's not supernatural. <laughs> if, mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so we did it. We it, we took some time to kind of go through the whole thing and edited it. And uh, I recall there was some sort of ending put on it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, which I think has been redone now. But anyway, I'm very excited to see this thing uh, finally in its in its edited full form. I know they've done like a, a an upres, like it's in mm. HD now as well, which I can't wait to see. But um, and I think there was maybe some black and white color correction, like where they, you know, they change mm-hmm. the sort of tint of it or whatever. But, um, right. it, this, from my memory, and I'll say this, we made a copy of it to watch on our TV at the time, just to kind of make sure that it looked good, like on another, mm. like something other than a small computer monitor. And, uh, it looked amazing. And I, I can tell mm. you for anybody having seen the band ever, but especially in this period, this incredibly busy, like 98 through 2000, end of 2000, they're just like on the road constantly. This is like yeah. this is like a week before they go on tour, and they're like smoking hot. And I, I remember just the power of the performance. It's so strong. Like Andrew's going crazy. Everybody's mm-hmm. just pulling out like rock moves and just like you know doing everything that you'd expect. Um, and it's just a powerful performance. And I think it's gonna. It's and I've been waiting this whole time, sitting on it, thinking mm-hmm. like, when is this thing gonna come out? And here we are. Um, and uh, for those listening. Obviously, before the fact, this it'll be available for a whole week uh, on Side Door, mm-hmm. uh, and then after that, we'll see. You know, maybe back in the vault, and hopefully, it'll have like a tactile or additional release at some point in the future. Maybe a Between the Bridges box set, nudge nudge. But uh, <laughs> uh, we should get a poll going, like smeared box set or Between the Bridges box set. Which one's next? Um, what What would you say, Ken? Between those two, what would be your pick? I think, in terms of chronological. Uh consistency you would need to do the between the bridges box set because you can't just do the first you know the three albums before that and then skip to the first album and then go but you know i'm not a purist per se and i do think that uh you know now being the 30th anniversary of smeared Mm, uh, and of peppermint for that matter it you know now is a great time to touch on that but it is yeah why not just do two in one year I was going to say the same thing. Let's let's get uh, let's get smeared ASAP, and then before the, before Christmas, we'll do between the bridges box set. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's my story. And I'm t- sticking to it. Uh, other than that, I'm trying to think of things I remember. Like obviously, the power the power of the performance is something that I really remember. I remember that they sounded incredible. Um, this is obviously pre Greg era, so there's a Rhodes there. They're switching to it. Andrew and Jay both play. Uh, there's obviously a moment I want to say, I don't remember what song is before it. I, I think uh, NS maybe goes into long time coming. I want to say, and it's um, cause I, I, I know it's the whole album, but I don't think that it's like chron- chronological in terms of the, the actual track list in order. Cause there were mm. songs that kind of went into each other. I recall that um, at the edge of the scene was played and that went into so beyond me, which as I, rec- mm-hmm. as I believe was the original first song on the album that as mm-hmm. we've touched on that previously. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, the, the performance I remember really sticking out. The the guitar mini in Long Time Coming, 
uh, when you see Andrew kind of stand up from the roads and come over and join Patrick on stage and they both do the guitar harmony. I remember that being a real right. moment. And then right. if anybody saw them at the time, they were doing uh, delivering maybes as a, as a pre-encore closer and having mm-hmm. the audience sing the outro to the song in a round, like actually right. in the room. And they yeah. do that with this small audience at the end of the concert. That is so um, cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds, those, those sound like, you know, very, very delectable reasons to, buy a ticket at side door for this show because you know we don't get that anymore we don't get andrew on the roads let alone andrew on the roads standing up after the main part of the song to do you know the doubled guitar solo with patrick together we also don't get a whole lot of andrew singing backup vocals anymore if at all i think he's given up that entirely to uh to greg Mm -hmm. but he's you know if you look at that friendship footage which i have uh, a lot since since the announcement that they're going to be doing this uh, this show on February fourth. Uh, it's so cool. He's doing the main backup vocals for most of the song <laughs> from the kit, and yeah. you know that might also be the case for other tracks. Uh, you know that's that's just so cool. That's yeah, just he, such a cool moment in time. Yeah, he's definitely doing a lot of background vocal in, in this uh, in this period. But yeah, the show is fantastic. I can't wait to see it. So it was a fun treat for this episode. We thought it'd be really fun to include a perspective outside of just our own and my bad memory of the, of seeing the show. How about we talk to somebody who was there? And mm. so, uh, you know, people would not, uh, people would certainly recognize our, uh, our guest here uh, from seeing her on TV, on the various Sloan uh, shows on Much Music and in the videos and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, Laura Q. Everybody would knows you from the, from the front row of every show. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, thanks for coming on. This is great. Of course. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Well, why don't you bring the listeners up to speed and kind of just give us a quick little history of your relationship to the band, kind of maybe a quick how you found out about them and got into them. And then obviously anybody would recognize, would recognize you from seeing them on Much Music and stuff. And you've been in a ton of the interviews asking questions, you know, I think on camera as much as the guys in the band probably. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I um, I first discovered Sloan. Um, I think it was nineteen, it was ninety nine five. Um, I was a very uncool fourteen year old kid living in the suburbs of Toronto, uh, very sheltered, <laughs> like Catholic school, uh, straight A, straight edge kind of situation. <laughs> um, and I um was in the car with some cooler older kids from my high school, and um, they were listening to the radio and. Um, yeah, Sloan came on. Um, it was coaxed me, and I was like, "What is this? I need, I need this in my life." <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then I went out and had to special order <laughs> from from my local record store. Um, but yeah, uh, discovered them through that, and then um, I didn't really um, kind of become a part of the fandom probably till '98, um, just after Navy Blues came out. So I was. 17 by that point and um finally allowed to go to shows (laughs) so that like opened up a whole new world so um yeah 98 um from 98 onward um they sadly couldn't get rid of me (laughs) i think like there were a couple of years at that point where yeah there was not a a sloan show or interview or anything that happened in toronto that i was not at (laughs) um yeah and yeah, I sort of, um, some of, if anyone remembers me, which I, I'm still doubtful of, but if anyone remembers me, they might also remember Kira, who um, is my best friend and like co-conspirator when it came to all things Sloan. So yeah, we were just a little 
duo that didn't miss a thing. <laughs> we're awesome. very overzealous, but um, I think earnest too. <laughs> and maybe that's why they put up with us. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you, you would have seen your first show in 98 then. Would that have been like the Navy Blues tour? So my first show was night one of four nights at the Palais Royale. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you go to all four? Yeah. Did you go to all four by chance? I, or? No, I went to the first night and the fourth night. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Bookends. So, so, yes, exactly. Yeah, what awesome. an amazing way to start. Like, yeah, crazy. And did you, did and, you make a point of meeting them right away or? Yeah. <laughs> nice, yeah. Yes, and uh, yeah, they had, you know, been doing promo for for navy blues and so we went to anything that was happening at much music and kind of yeah met them and i think they pretty quickly um became familiar with us just because we were always there <laughs> um but yeah in particular you know um got to know jay and chris a little bit and um they were always really kind and generous and patient with us <laughs> um but yeah it was like um, we swapped email addresses at some point and kept in touch and talked music and, you know, they suggested cool things that I might want to check out. And, you know, it was just, it was very, very sweet of them to be like that. Yeah. Not everybody's favorite band, you know, reaches down and like is suggesting music and stuff. Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Even in those days when there wasn't social media to reach out on, um, the the gestation period between ninety five and ninety eight, especially in in like nineties terms, that's that seems like a long time. What what finally made it stick for you uh, to make you know that you know Sloan is something super well, I, special? Yeah, I got some bad intel because um, I I was told you know in ninety five I was told oh well they've broken up. Oh right. So <laughs> which so, to be fair was kind of yeah true you know it was kind of true. Um, but so I thought there wasn't anything to follow. <laughs> So I was right. just blissfully, you know, listening to all their previous records and very happily so. And then literally um, turned on much music and they were advertising this intimate interactive for Navy Blues. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I love this band and I didn't know they were still together. I was com- completely um, unaware. So that was a happy rediscovery. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you went to the yeah. 98 I and I then? No, I didn't. I, w- I wasn't there. No, I was. I was uh, not allowed. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, yes, soon we were, after we were in the same boat. Yeah, I think well, Ken too. We were all watching it from home, gritting our teeth, yes. wishing we were there. Ugh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopping in the van with Chris at the end. There you go. Um, but I mean, speaking of, so bring us up to speed. In in two thousand, you've been on TV with them a ton. You've been to everything. Uh, you've exchanged emails and perhaps even phone numbers, as you were saying the other day when we kind of chatted about this. So the, to kind of, yeah. we've kind of put the whole thing in context already. But um, it's February two thousand. They're kind of in between yeah. their U.S. and Canadian leg of the Between the Bridges tour, and they're going to record the whole album in one go. And they need an audience, uh, and they're going to only have about forty people or so. So, how do you get involved with this? Yeah, so um, I will never forget this. I was just have you know, I was having dinner with my parents. I was still in high school, and we were just having family dinner one night. And the phone rings, and my mom picked it up, and she said, "Oh, Laura, it's for you. It's uh, someone named Chris calling for you." And I was like. I don't have any friends named Chris, but okay, I'll answer the phone. And I went over to the phone and um, it was Chris Murphy calling. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) my little teenage brain exploded with um, joy and shock. Um, But yeah, he just said that Sloan was going to be filming this performance and, you know, it's going to be a very small audience, but he would love it if I could be there. And, um, you know, 
as if there was any doubt that I would say yes to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was just so, um, so generous and like, you know, to an 18 year old kid in the suburbs who just idolized this band to, to have, you know, one of the members of that band uh, reach out in that way was just mind blowing to me. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, that other people who were there also received you know, similar personal invites, you know, and I think that's just so indicative of the way that they've always just been really so generous with their fans. And, yeah. um, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really admirable, I think. Yeah. I know I've talked to a uh, blue suit, Ron, who I, are you familiar with him? You've obviously of met course, him. Ron, of course, Ron. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember when he, he and I were talking recently, he was there. Um, do you yeah. recall any, but like seeing anybody else there that you were like, Oh, Hey, like, or just other people yeah. who, cause when I, when I, I would recognize you obviously from the shows, but from the front row too, like whenever I would go see Sloan yeah. in Ontario, generally, uh, there'd be like a certain crew of people just like at the front. Uh, yeah. so yeah. Were you, did you recognize anybody right out of the shoot or? Yeah. Um, so Elaine Sue, do you remember Elaine Sue? She used to yeah. run the psychotically obsessed Sloan fan site, which yes. is such a such a gem and so hilarious. <laughs> um, she was there. Um, I don't know if you guys remember um, Lindsay Lynch. Lindsay was a, a big Sloan fan. She's such such a lovely person. Yeah, still in touch with both of them. They were there. Um, and then you know some familiar faces that I couldn't necessarily put names to, but yeah, um, yeah it was it was a. A lovely crew. <laughs> yeah. Just for as as a production note here, yeah. uh, modern day Sloan fans might recognize Elaine Sue from the Simpsons mug, which has recently been done <laughs> as a tribute to that era of fandom yeah. uh, by the band's merch team. Yeah, she's a really talented illustrator. Um, yeah, that was her. I need to get that on a shirt or something. So, <laughs> so you're there, and they're obviously like I've seen some of the footage, obviously having edited it, and you know did a bit of the editing. Um, but um, and I know that they did maybe a song or two twice. So tell tell me about like the performance that you recall. Like, uh, were there any directions given to the audience kind of beforehand, or what was it like kind of being in such an intimate setting? Because I mean, early '91 and this show would be like kind of the only shows where they've got this really small audience. Yeah, I mean, they were, um, yeah, literally on floor level with us. So we in the audience were sort of arranged in a semicircle around them. And we were just sat cross-legged on, on the floor. <laughs> um, we couldn't possibly get any closer to them. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, we weren't really given any specific directions other than, you know, we were told that they were going to try to record it through as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, which they did, although at the end they did... They did do friendship again at the very end, right. um, just okay. to, I think to make sure they were covered. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of a sit back and enjoy. <laughs> awesome. And do you remember, yeah. do you recall how loud it was in the room? Like, were they playing full bore or was it like a little reserved because of the, st the, you know, the setting? It was pretty loud. I mean, I, I was also kind of, um, they, they put us sort of in the, uh, we were in the front row, but towards the back. So we were kind of almost behind Patrick. So he, I don't think you, anyone would ever see us in this video, but we were there, I promise. Um, but um, so we were actually quite close to Andrew, which is like phenomenal because to you don't normally get to see the best drummer in the world uh, mm. playing that up close and personal. Totally. But yeah, I remember it being a little loud as a result of that, but but totally worth it. That is so cool. The thing that stands out to me when I watch that footage is... Andrew, I mean, his drumming style has changed throughout the years in terms of his posture behind the drums. He used to have the the, the cymbals way up high, like like sort of uh, 
I don't know, Dave Grohl style, Rob, for you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this is sort of in the transitional phase where they were at a medium level, but his body language and his action in in that friendship video is sort of more reminiscent of, of the Money City Maniacs video. It's just such a treat to watch. Um, you said there were there were no retakes? They only did friendship a second time? I don't remember there being any retakes aside from friendship. Um it's possible that there were. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was I was trying to think about this. And I was like, oh, this was uh, over half my life ago. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I might be a little foggy on a couple of things. Rob, you've seen it more recently than I have, right? So, uh, yeah, um, I saw it about a decade ago. Probably was yeah. the last time. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you um, don't remember every element. <laughs> <laughs> Did it have the feeling of being a regular show? Were they interacting with you guys? Was it? Was it? Were they making jokes? Was it? As far as I remember, there wasn't a lot of like in between song banter, and I think that also feeds into the fact that you know they were playing it in in performance sure. order of the album, right? So yeah. all those transitions and you know, it doesn't really allow for a lot of kind of um, stopping and, and chatting. I'm sure there was some of that, but right. um, hmm. not a ton. And I'm I'm also racking my brain because um, they definitely performed um, at the edge of the scene, and I yes. don't know. Where I can't cannot remember where that came in in the running order of the show, but um, that was amazing to see. Yes, yeah, such. A, I mean, they would they would have been playing that live at the on the shows on that tour anyway. Yeah. Uh, and and in my memory, I remember them doing "Summer's My Season," like Chris sitting down and doing it by himself. Um, but in in the ad for the show, they only mentioned that it's one B side, and I know it's edge of the scene for sure. So perhaps that's yes. not there. Perhaps I'm just like my mind made I, that up. But uh... I have a story about that one. Yes, yes. <laughs> so. I mean, it's kind of jumping ahead, but um, at the end of the show, um, you know, they started breaking stuff down and people were milling around and chatting to the band and whatever. And eventually, um, by the time Chris was free for us to chat to, because we hung on till the bitter end, <laughs> I'm going to not say hi to Chris. Um, you know, there were only like six or seven people there at that point. And um, we were talking and, you know, I said I was what an amazing show. I couldn't believe that we got to be part of this. And we were looking forward to their show coming up at Massey Hall. Um, and, you know, he, I said, the only thing that could have made this better was Summer's My Season, because that's my new favorite song, because I'd heard it on the um, Japanese bonus disc. And I was just obsessed with that song. And he was like, oh, that would make it better. And I said, yeah, you know, but that looking a gift horse in the mouth, right? Like, the <laughs> audacity of me telling him that. Um, and he was like, oh, well, come here. And he walked over to the roads and he sat down and he just started playing summer's my season Holy shit. and uh there were probably like six or seven of us still there and um it was just one of those moments where you're in the moment going oh i'm going to remember this for the rest of my life this is oh so magical um and yeah and, and it was just incredible and that was at like 1 a.m when all this stuff wrapped up. yeah wow yeah that's awesome. And then I went to the car and cried because I was so overwhelmed with how amazing that was. But, you know. <laughs> wow. Who can yeah. hold it against you? I remember, yeah, like on the Between the Bridges tour, I think Summer's My Season was like the first song of the encore, generally. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what a cool, I mean, there's, I remember uh, at the show that I was at, it's like he sings a line and it's like, woo. And then he sings another line. Woo. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure he was like playing to the crowd for that a little bit, like to get the tears sure. in between each line or whatever. But uh, yeah, what an awesome song and what a cool moment to like yeah. experience that. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just a note on that one. You know, I feel as though in younger years when you would encounter Chris after a show, I think for a lot of first time 
meters of the man. He could often come across as a little bit cocky, like he was very confident with himself. He was very confident with his with his um, uh, with his relationship to fans. But you know that goes to show you his generosity, and that that was you know he always took the time for fans, even back then. Uh, and that I feel as though that's something that's even you know becoming stronger over the years. But what a great um, what a, what a great move from CMM in 1999. Yeah, classic Murph. 2000. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a classic exactly. Murph. <laughs> exactly. Did you did you manage to also catch any other shows on the? You'd mentioned Massey Hall on on the Between the Bridges tour, so that was sort of at your peak i guess that would have been late teenage fandom how yeah. how was the rest of the tour for you yeah i saw them at massey hall and then i saw them in in montreal i'm trying to remember what that was that club I soda i forget I, that's it that's exactly okay, it, i right. think yeah um so yeah and and that was that, those are the only shows i saw on that tour so right yeah that's uh it's it's such an amazing juncture in the band's history and if you know listeners if you haven't listened to our first two episodes then then you know this might be a good point to do that uh where we do reminisce in more detail about uh about that 99 2000 era especially about between the bridges but um the thing that stands out for me in my mind that was my first show official show not counting the parliament hill canada day thing in 98 um but the thing that really does stand out to me is the, it was maybe the last point in time in which they were really moving between instruments, including the roads. And yeah. they were doing that in, I think a little bit more of a, like, I don't want to say haphazard, but they were, you know, the switches were a bit more obvious than they are nowadays. Um, and they were having fun with it. And uh, it, it, there just seemed to be a lot more interaction out there within, within the four guys on the stage. You know, it was, it's only seven years until Greg joins the band and their live presence gets, uh, gets changed completely. Um, but, uh, a totally cool point in, in time in this, in this band's history. And it's, it's just so cool that you were able to experience this, you know, moment that is now has now been eternalized in alive and all right. I was just gonna say it did genuinely seem like they were having fun. You would think, you know, there would be some pressure, um, because, you know, I remember Chris saying that they they were leaving on tour in a week and they had to get this friendship video out to much music and whomever else like before they went. <laughs> so like there was yeah. surely the pressure to get it done and get it right, but they did seem to genuinely be enjoying themselves during that show. So That's awesome. Yeah. And to Ken's point, I just want to say I miss Jay on the roads, man. Like I know that hey, mm. I love Greg and I love the current setup or the you know the one that they've had for like you know fifteen years. But yeah, I miss Jay on the roads. Oh, anyway. But so I have two questions. One, did they allow cameras at all? Like, did you were you able to take any pictures? Like, obviously not during the performance or whatever. But do you have anything from the day or? I have some some truly horrible <laughs> like point and click camera. Um, yeah, I do have a couple of pictures. Not during the performance. No, we were yeah. all like. Yeah, we weren't allowed to do that. But afterwards, um, got some pictures with the band and a couple of pictures of of them. Um, but, you know, no, nothing to write home about. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, cool. But I'm happy to share them if you're interested in seeing oh, them. Oh, I would, I would love to see them. Yeah. I think listeners yeah. would love to see them too. But uh, And then so my other question is sort of a more, is more broad. Do you have any idea, is it quantifiable at all, how many shows you've been to in total? I'm talking Sloan, obviously. <laughs> like, yeah. Are you one of those people who was able to you know, say the number? Like, Do you know? I mean, I, I know. I couldn't say the number. I think, it, I think we're getting like c- close to 100, probably. Yeah. Oh, that's so killer. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 Saying that out loud sounds a little a little wacky, but yeah. No, this is this is the place to say that. That is that is a correct number. That is a good yes. number. Yes. <laughs> That's impressive. That's to be admired. Yeah. That's in the top zero point zero one percent of the Spotify wrapped, I think. That's sort of There you go. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Uh, Laura Q for joining us. This is so awesome to talk to you and catch up. Uh, we, we would obviously love to have you back with Kira in tow. Uh, so uh, hopefully, hopefully listeners have that to, uh, to look forward to going forward. Um, but yeah, guys, uh, just to kind of wrap up here, the documentary that I mentioned earlier about Jay uh, that, that occurred just around after they'd recorded Parallel Play, uh, but prior to it coming out, uh, actually uh, done by my brother, it can be found online at tinyurl.com slash jwaiting. Uh, yeah, so check it out. It's called Waiting for Slow Songs. It's a quick little doc on Jay. Uh, fun fact, I play the butler at the beginning. Uh, the, the opening is actually an homage to a Beach Boys documentary, or some footage right. that was shot of them on tour in Europe in the 70s. And there's uh, various footage of each member uh, waking up or, you know, doing something. And, you know, I think uh, Mike Love goes to the Louvre in Paris, and Dennis Wilson uh, is uh, talking about the girl Snorty that he was Col- with. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably that too. Uh, and Carl Wilson waking wakes up in a hotel room and has breakfast in bed. And so there's a bit of an homage to that moment uh, here. Um, so yeah, go enjoy that. But uh, that moment, that day was kind of where my story began with this project. And again, I am so effing excited that it's you know coming to fruition, that it'll be out. Um, and so yeah, it's going to be live on Side Door Access, which you can access uh, via the Sloan Music Instagram link tree uh, to get tickets. And uh, it's February 4th, uh, if you're listening to this before the fact. And after the fact, hope you enjoyed it. Um, and the guys are going to be in the chat during the performance, you know, talking about the show and, you know, hopefully giving us some tidbits. And I think it'd be appropriate, Ken, to do like a sort of uh, post-show, like a wrap-up after it's aired. Sure. And um, yeah, maybe we'll talk to somebody else who was in the audience as well. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Let's let's build the lobby for getting a box set out this year. Heck yeah, man. We should, we should start some sort of... Uh, as, as, though it's, as though it's just done, you know from nothing <laughs> awesome and it's so funny laura mentioned the thing about having that chris had to edit it in a week and i'm just thinking about this now just sort of the time frame he would have recorded it and then a week later they were mm-hmm. going on tour and i remember on much access tv at the time this is right before the tour um he made some he made a comment i think to rick the temp and rachel about that his plan at the time was to record the entire album cut each song into its own music video and then for the next 12 weeks deliver much music a new music video mm-hmm. and they were just like a and he, he jokes that they were just like yeah no thanks you know right but uh, uh i think and and in my memory in seeing that interview i was like oh god that would have been so awesome fuck so they would only do that for the tea party anyways <laughs> oh my god Ugh. one of these days we'll stop mentioning the fucking tea party but uh it's gonna it's gonna come back to trouble charger anyways <laughs> but uh anyway yeah so uh, from from 2000 to now 22 years uh we've all been waiting a long time for this and we're gonna get to hop in the time machine and see sloan circa early 2000 in glorious black and white it's a powerful powerful performance and uh, again like i said we'll be reviewing it uh after it airs and so we will see you then anything that you wanted to say before we wrap up ken no i'll just uh i'll have my uh my acne cream ready and uh hop in that time machine (laughs) awesome i might even cut my hair super short and give myself frosted tips we'll see lance base style it was a it was a year of bad decisions yeah pop it (laughs) just (laughs) come
why not 2K? <laughs> there it is. Awesome, man. Maybe I'll even get my oh, we'll resurrect uh, Future Shop and I'll get my old job back. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're living like it's you would have you would have the clip from sensory deprivation to use. <laughs> hey, that's right. That's right. Well, yeah. All right. Have fun at the show, guys. That's right. We'll see you on the next episode of Sloancast. Thanks for listening. See you later. <laughs>